the Joe Momo Presents Calgary Leader Series. And we are live. Welcome to the podcast, Anthony. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be on your on your podcast. Thanks so much. Absolutely. I'm super excited to have you on the podcast. It's actually pretty funny. I've, I was uh, checking out your uh, video content on Facebook, and one of the things you mentioned is the anthropology of an entrepreneur. And yes. that's kind of funny. That's kind of the theme of the podcast, really getting to know Awesome, uh, Calgary business leaders, entrepreneurs. Uh, so, I guess my first question to you, Anthony, is maybe tell us a little bit about yourself, your kind of your origin story, how how you became uh, the successful entre- entrepreneur you are today. Um, well, I won't go into too much boring detail, but you know, really, uh, it all it all stems from uh, you know being a kid and uh, not wanting to. Uh, um, you know, my thought process was never around. What am I going to do when I grow up? Uh, what kind of a job or what kind of a career am I going to have? It was always about um, how can I make things better? And I know that sounds kind of funny being from coming from a kid, but I was always a problem solver. You know, I grew up in a household where <clears throat> a bunch of boys, a bunch of testosterone, you're always fighting for your place at the table. And I was always trying to, um, you know, make things a little bit uh, easier and smoother for everybody. So I was a problem solver by nature. So as an adult, um, when I sort of became a, an adult, it, it all it all came about that um, you know I should be doing this uh, for a business. I should be helping solve problems. I should be <clears throat> I should be providing solutions to people who otherwise wouldn't have access to these solutions. And so that's all where it started was um, you know how can I how can I make things better and uh, how can I solve problems? I guess that's the nerd in me wants to make everything <laughs> wants to make everything right. <laughs> <laughs> Said by a true entrepreneur. Um, yeah. t- taking a step back, uh, so you're the CEO at the Unbankers. Um, maybe could you give us maybe a Twitter length uh, description of what the Unbankers does or your current uh, role Absolutely. right now? Absolutely, yes. Yeah. So the Unbankers was was born out of an idea, and especially during COVID, it became a lot more um, prevalent. And it was it was around the the concept and the philosophy of um, doing things at the banks won't or that they can't. And it's not that we're down on banks. It's just that some, you know, most banks are are pretty limited or restricted as to what they can do. So um, I've been in finance for 20 years. And, um, and over the last eight years, it's been primarily around corporate and commercial finance. And then in the last 12 months, we were noticing during COVID that a lot of people were kind of being left out to twist in the wind, they were orphaned by their banks. And it's again, it's not, you know, we're not being down on banks, but they're pretty restrictive and there's not a lot they could do. So the, the fact that bankers are restricted and are limited in their lending products, um, it, it opens up the doors for people like us who can come in and solve that problem that the banks can't. And the whole theme around the unbankers is that we are different. We're unapologetically different. So um, all of our associates and our team members have all operated businesses ourselves. We've started, we've sold, um, you know, we've, we've bootstrapped businesses in the basement of our houses. So we understand the journey of the entrepreneur. And so it, it, it makes it easier for us to go in and talk with lenders and to help that business owner source capital. When we understand where they're coming from, we can build that package differently than if it were just a banker. Mm, absolutely. No, that's awesome to hear. We have, we have, I mean, I've had a ton of entrepreneurs on the podcast and um, getting funding, <clears throat> excuse me, getting funding is uh, kind of the key piece of kind of scaling your business and um, kind of growing, taking it to the next level. Uh, absolutely. For you, Anthony, what's, what's something you look for in uh, let's say a potential small startup or mid-sized company looking for funding 
what sort of qualities or um, uh, business attributes are you looking for before you fund fund that venture? Well, you know, it, it comes down to the team, number one, and then management, number two. So, and, you know, the two kind of go hand in hand. But um, when uh, when a funder is looking to fund a business, you know, the, 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 the financial model, it, it is what it is. The financials, they are what they are. You know, even whatever product or service or widget it is that they're selling, you know, it, it's... It, it is what it is. But when it comes down to the team and the management, that's what really makes the difference. So if, if we're speaking with the management or the C-suite um, of, the, of a particular company, we want to know that they have a handle on what they're doing. They, they have a solid plan and they're not going to deviate from that plan, um, especially when it comes to the financials of the business, <clears throat> because we're dealing with money and we're dealing with lenders and the lenders want to know that the money is going where you say it's going to go. And so um, the, uh, the reputation, the character of the management is very, very important. And then the way that they treat their team is also important. Now, we can't drill down that deep uh, as, a, uh, as a, uh, a broker or a funding uh, partner because we can't get into the, you know, the depths of their business on the day-to-day necessarily. But it's important to know how their business is structured, how it operates, and uh, how the management run it. That's really important. No, absolutely. No, I appreciate uh, appreciate that insight. Uh, just kind of stepping back a little bit, I'm just curious, what's what's maybe something that uh, you wish you would have known before you started your career? Um, well, you know what? I, I was very, very fortunate um, uh, in my career uh, that um, we had a little bit of uh, um, of a head start, and we were we were very lucky with the team that we had. Uh, but you know, one of the things that I didn't know early on, I was in my early twenties when I started my first business, and it was a fintech company. It was, you know, back when when the internet was in its infancy, really. So, um, I didn't know uh, that it's okay to make mistakes, and that was something that you know, when you're twenty three, twenty four, and you know, you've got a startup and you've built this thing up. And, you know, you feel pretty good about yourself, you know, when there's an error or a failure, it hits you hard. And sometimes it takes a while to recover from that. And so one thing I wish I would have known earlier on is that it's okay to make mistakes and it's okay to fail because that's the only way that you can improve on something is if you fail. If you continue to hit it out of the park all the time, then you never really know what you can do um, to improve that system or that process or that service or that product. So I wish I would have um, learned early on that, you know, it's okay to make a mistake. It's fine, right? Nobody gets it right, um, you know, every time, the first time out. I mean, you look at Crystal Pepsi, you look at the Apple Newton, you look at the Ford Edsel. These are big companies that, and even they make mistakes, right? And so, um, you know, you have to get past your ego and your pride when you first start a business. And you have to understand that, you know what, things are going to happen. You're going to make mistakes. You just have to shake it off and keep going. And uh, that took me, that took me years to learn that, but I'm glad I did. It was an important lesson for me. Absolutely. Uh, sometimes I call failures just learning opportunities because we all make mistakes. We all, we're all going to uh, inevitably fail at something. So uh, it's really just how you bounce back and kind of learn from that mistake and kind of build from there. So I don't know, I'd love to hear that. Um, maybe if you can share, is there anything in particular, like a big failure, maybe even a big challenge or learning opportunity during your career and kind of what did you learn from that experience? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, there's not just one <laughs> There's as an entrepreneur, you're failing all the time. But um, 
I would say uh, one of my biggest failures is, and this kind of goes back to that that old uh, story that we would all we would have heard as kids, the you know the hare and the tortoise, right? And so um, again, like I mentioned earlier, you know uh, we were very fortunate in the beginning of our first of my first fintech business that you know we were front runners, we were pioneers in the business, and nobody had really any done anything like that before. So we had a huge head start, and so um, sometimes when you get that much of a head start, you get a little complacent. Right. And sometimes even you get a little bit arrogant, which, again, that comes down to lack of experience and youth and so on. So, when, you know, when you have that success really early on, um, you know, you, you kind of you kind of slow the pace a little bit because, oh, we, you know, we got a ton. We got a huge head start. We're fine. And that's where that whole hair and tortoise story comes in as a child. Right. So I um, I, I kind of slowed down when I should have just kept on going. When you have that much lead, you want to keep on going because people are going to eventually going to nip at your heels, right? They're going to eventually going to catch up. And so uh, it was in the technology field and uh, we had made some huge strides and, uh, and I diverted my attention and I went and looked at an acquisition target and it was, it wasn't a bad acquisition target, but it didn't make sense uh, at the time. It was just me, um, you know, trying to think too far ahead when I should have just been focusing on making sure that we maintain that lead in, in our industry. So, um, so that was the first mistake. And the second mistake that was tied to that is that when, you know, when you make an acquisition or you merge a company with another company, you have to be very careful with who you're merging with. Because again, like I had mentioned earlier, when we've got, you know, you look at the strength of the management, the team and so on, you have to look at the character of these people that you're going to be merging your business with, or that you're going to bring on board, you know, your team. So, um, you know, I made the, the error of not doing enough due diligence. And again, that comes, comes back to, um, you know, not learning from your mistakes and, and being okay with failure and, you know, not, um, uh, not, not doing enough uh, deep diving and due diligence to make sure that the people you're bringing on board match your uh, match and align with your goals and your ethics and your morals and and so you know that was a that was a, a mistake a big mistake uh, that I made and it cost cost me a lot of time and money and those are really good lessons to learn so that was a, that was a big one and um, you know and so I learned from that and never again and I'm glad I learned that when I was in my mid to late 20s rather than in my mid to late 40s because it's tougher um, to, to learn and, and rebound when you're in your mid to late 40s but in your mid to late 20s you learn it and hopefully you move on and then you know okay I'm never going to do that again so that was that was probably the most impactful um, sort of failure challenge that that I experienced personally mm -hmm. wow oh, that's 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 amazing I think like to your point about merging and um, team culture I think yeah, culture, team culture is one of the most important um, aspects of kind of building an organization or company. Um, even with my sports background, I know how important uh, culture and team is. Um, you could have all the talent in the world, but if you don't have kind of that culture and um, working together, work, marching towards that North Star, if you will, uh, things can definitely uh, <laughs> fall apart. That's right. That's right. Well, you know, people won't go to won't go to bat for you either if they don't believe in what you're doing and they don't believe in the team and they don't they don't follow the culture. And, and you made a good point. Um, culture is very very important. And there are some really great companies out there that just you know have a great product or service, but their culture just isn't there. And then there's other businesses that have an amazing culture and they're just getting off off the ground. And and I believe it helps them propel their business when they've got the right people that have the right culture and attitude. I mean, we've all seen it 
you know, they make, they parody um, businesses on TV shows now, but people that just don't care about the culture, they just don't care to be there. It's just a J-O-B for them. And, you know, you need to have the right people on your team that can help you with that, that, that have the right mindset and culture and everything that buy into it, because that will, that will propel your business way quicker, way quicker than somebody, you know, that has a bunch of impressive letters behind their name. The, the, the two go hand in hand. Let's put it that way. Absolutely. I love that. Uh, speaking a little bit, maybe a little bit more uh, unique to yourself. Uh, what's, what's maybe a unique skill that you'd say you, um, you have that's helped you be, become so successful in uh, your journey? Um, well, you know, I, um, I, like I mentioned earlier, I, I've always been sort of a problem solver by nature and, uh, you know, right, right from, you know, my sort of my teen years. And so, and I'm also a relationship person too. I, I like to going back to that whole anthropology of the entrepreneur, but the anthropology in general of, you know, why people do what they do, what makes them tick, why do they choose left instead of right? That kind of stuff fascinates me. And I think once you figure that out, then you learn to be a, a better problem solver, in my opinion. So, um, you know, I'm I'm good with numbers, but I'm I'm uh, a good problem solver, I believe, um, and I also am a good relationship person. So, uh, I thrive on understanding people. I th- I want to know about their goals and what drives them and why they do what they do. And so, there's so much to learn about people. And if you pay attention, you know, it's so many people have amazing backgrounds and stories and and personal information attached to them that you know they there's there's so much that we can do to solve their problems if we really just pay attention and i think that comes down to building relationships so i'm rambling on and on but when it comes down to it um you know I, i've always wanted to fix things i've been a fixer since i was a kid and so i i would say that is a unique skill that i have um that some of my competitors in the space um maybe would not have the same same level or have the same interest. Uh, a lot of people that do what I do are transactional uh, in thought, right? So they want to get a transaction in, they want to get it out, they want to get it funded, and then they're on to the next one. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I I am I'm more of a relationship person. So our firm is built on uh, relationships rather than transactions. And so we we try to tie that into everything that we do is we're going to solve this problem, but we're going to do it and build a relationship with you along the way. And, you know, if you have more problems down the road, we're going to be here because we have a relationship with you. So I would say that's a unique skill that I have. I love that. I think, yeah, really having building relationships is a majority of my business as well. Um, and just business in general, just having a good relationship with clients and um, solving their problems, getting them from point A to point B. Right. Being that bridge for them. Right. And you know, when it comes down to it as well, um, you have to have relationships on both sides. So if you're, you know, if you're selling a widget or a service or something, not only is your client a relationship, but on the other side, there's a relationship as well that you have to cultivate. So with, with our business in particular, we've got our clients, our business owners, our entrepreneurs that we're helping fund. But on the other side, we've got our lending partners, our funding partners. And if we don't build a strong relationship with them, then they're not going to trust the information that we provide to them. So it works on both ends, and it's really important to have that strong relationship on both sides. Absolutely. Could you give maybe uh, one or two key pieces of, or maybe tips or tactics for the listeners to really building that uh, solid relationship with clients or customers or just relationships in general? Absolutely. Well, I think it's really important, and I this probably doesn't need to be said, but it still needs to be said, is um, communication is the most important piece and truly listening. 
So I've been in a room uh, with, you know, with an ex- a board of directors and nobody's listening to anybody. They're all talking, but nobody's listening. So you really can't figure out, you know, okay, what's the problem here? What are we trying to solve? And, and who's going to be able to, to, you know, kind of throw their hat into the ring and help us solve this problem? Sometimes you don't know because people just aren't communicating. And so I would say one of the big, one of the most important pieces is communication. So on our, with our firm, what we do is we spend time in the very beginning to understand and learn as much as we can about the business and the, the CEO or the founder. So we understand what they're looking for and why they're looking for it. Because unless we understand that, then we're just, again, it just comes back to a transaction and we're just there to punch the numbers and find them the money. And that's, a, and that's not the way we want to do things. So my best advice to anybody, regardless of the business industry you're in, is to really communicate. Learn about what your client or your customer really, really wants. And then do it uh, with excitement and understanding, um, not just to get a paycheck at the end of it. And I think that, that comes through to the client and they can see that you are genuine in what you're doing and that you really want to help them and you really want to solve their problem. And that will... Uh, and that pays dividends like you wouldn't believe. I really love that. And to your point, active listening, um, just really being engaged, being engaged listener uh, really goes a long way because too many times you, you kind of run into some people where they're just waiting for their turn to turn to speak and not really right. listening to what you're saying. And that's that, right. Yeah, that's right. Off, so that's right. I always say to my children, um, I've got boys and I always say to them, you have two ears and one mouth. So you should listen more than you talk. <laughs> and that's really important. I would never say that to any of our team, but you know, we all know that it's better to listen so that we can understand. You can't understand, and you know, and when you're talking. So, yeah, yeah, no, that's great insight there, Anthony. Um, yeah, I mean, speaking of which, how, what, what kind of resources or kind of um, are you a reader, listener of content? How, how do you get all this great information? Or is it just from experience? How, how have you got um, uh, resources? Well, you know, I, I do read. Uh, lately, I haven't read as much, but <clears throat> I think one of the most important resources I've had is being able to find people who can do the things that I cannot do. And that's really, really important. So they, there's, a, there's a terminology that's used, uh, and it's called, it's called human capital. And human capital, to me, is just as important, if not more important, than um, financial capital, Right. So uh, on my team, for example, I, I have people that are specialists in um, specific areas that I cannot that I cannot do. When I first started my business, I was doing it all alone. I was wearing three hats, right? And that's what you do as an entrepreneur is you have to wear multiple hats because you just don't have the ability to have other people on board. You can't afford to pay them, or you know your your, your business or your product is just coming online, and you don't really have the ability to to staff to have multiple staff on your team yet. So you have to do it all yourself. And so one of the most important resources for me uh, was when I could bring on other team members or associates that could do the things I couldn't do. That's huge because that propelled the business so much quicker when I, I didn't have to worry about doing this piece or worrying about the marketing or worrying about the business development or worrying about the technology or the software that was being built because we've got the right people in place on the team to do that. So. Uh, you know, there's there's always a ton of resources, and you know there there are um, there are government outlets that have tons of resources, you know, on on how to start a business, run a business, and everything. But really, when it comes down to it, people 
people is is what you need. You need good people uh, as a resource because they can they can fill the gaps that you can't fill. Absolutely, and kind of going back to that team piece again. Team team is everything. Having the people the people you surround yourself with is absolutely really um, impactful to your trajectory as an entrepreneur. Absolutely. Uh, speaking of which, what's maybe one common myth about entrepreneurship uh, that you'd want to debunk? Well, um, you know, in the it, it, lately we see so much more on social media, and everybody's got these, uh, you know, these uh, an idea of what a what what an entrepreneur is or does, and usually it's them laying on the front of a of a you know sports car or <laughs> in a mansion or laying by the pool or whatever, and that's all wonderful, but that doesn't happen right away. And I think that's a huge misconception or, uh, you know, or myth is that, you know, the entrepreneur immediately is wealthy and immediately has freedom. And this is so wrong. This is a long game, right? It's like buying stock and sitting on it for, for five to 10 years. You can't flip it overnight. If you want to be a day trader, that's a completely different mindset. But if you, if you want to make money in the long run, it's a long game. It takes resilience. It takes persistence. And, you know, you'll likely not make any real money in the first year or two. You, because you're, you're going to continue to put, you will, you may have, you may, may earn revenue, but you're going to keep putting it back into the business to grow that business as quickly as you can. You're not going to have a lot of, um, uh, you know, weekends off. Uh, you're not going to have a bunch of uh, events you go to with friends and stuff. It's, it's solo. It's, it's a lot of solo nights. It's working on the business and working on the plan. It is not glamorous at all. It's way more than a 95. You know, and if you do it part time, which some people have to do because they have a day job that have to pay their bills, then it takes longer. Right. And so I think, you know, some people have um, delusions sometimes that, oh, I can start this side business and I'll work five hours a week on it and I'll make an extra, you know, twenty thousand dollars a month. It generally doesn't work that way. I mean, there is the odd time where, you know, you heard somebody hit it out of the park, but, you know, by and large, you need to understand that if you're putting 10 hours a week of your time in, you're going to reap less of a reward than if you're putting in eight out, 80 hours a week. It just, it is what it is. What you put in is what you get out. So um, people need to understand that the first two to four years of, of starting a business or running a business is tough and you don't get to party on the weekends and you don't get to travel all over the world and you don't get to lay, you know, sprawl across a sports car. It doesn't happen that way. It takes a lot of sacrifice. Absolutely. And to your point, uh, the quote I always love to say is it takes eight to 10 years to become an overnight success. Absolutely. That's so true. That is so true. Yeah. I wish I could put that on a billboard somewhere. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Yeah, and to your point with social media, you always see kind of the quote unquote um, popping champagne and private jets. And that's not what entrepreneurship is about, at least not right away. Um, it's all about putting in the work and enjoying the process. Yeah. That's right. That's Absolutely. right. Um, what's, what's maybe something that you're proud of Anthony that we haven't touched on, on the podcast so far? Um, well, you know, I, I, I think, uh, it probably ties in with the last question. Um, resilience. Um, I, you know, we, we have successes all the time and, um, I don't like to brag about successes. I just like to, I'm proud of the fact that um, we have innovated and adapted along the way. And there's a lot of businesses that unfortunately they just, they can't for whatever reason, and especially during COVID, right? They just, they can't keep their doors open and it's tough because, you know, there's no real resources for them to keep them open, but um, our business operates differently. So I'm very, very proud of the fact that when we, when we see that there's a lag in something, then we try to fix it. 
and and I'm I'm happy that myself and my team have the ability to innovate that quickly. And so that's something that I'm proud of is is you know okay it's not working let's 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 change that quickly because we still are passionate about what we do that never changes. But how can we get this message out? And how can we get the attention of people? And okay, well then we have to innovate in order for people to see more, right? And so I'm I'm the most proud of that the the fact that you know we can drive our team. And uh, we can innovate and adapt very, very quickly. And we've got buy-in from the team to do that. So that, that makes me proud. Absolutely. And to your point, speaking about innovation, um, many businesses the last uh, 8 to 12 months has, have had to innovate due to COVID and um, kind of the pandemic. For you personally, though, Anthony, has have you kind of managed through the pandemic and COVID? Um, how's things kind of been on your end? Well, you know, uh, pre-COVID, we were talking about rebranding our business. Uh, the business uh, before that, it was called, and it still is technically called Formiga Capital. And Formiga is actually a Portuguese word. It means ant in Portuguese. And so that resonated with us and with myself because I am Portuguese. The first three letters of my name are A-N-T and, and how an ant functions in, in sort of a colony and how they work together and, and lift, you know, they can lift a thousand times their weight and they solve complex problems. They're part of a community that really resonated with me, but it didn't resonate with the public because Formiga is a foreign word. So, uh, you know, when COVID hit, we decided, okay, you know what, we have to rebrand a little bit to make sure that people understand what we're really here to do. And, uh, with COVID, we started to notice that a lot of people were being, like I'd mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, a lot of people were being orphaned by their by their lender, by their bank, or they were just they were told that, hey, listen, we can't, we just can't go any further with you. So it, this is what it is, and you know, please try and find another lending source. And so we were getting calls from people that we normally would not receive calls from, and it was because of our referral network and so on. But we started to realize that. Uh, you know, we, we have to change this. We have to rebrand. And people are really disillusioned right now and disheartened. And they want to deal with somebody who can get the job done, who's not the typical banker type. So that's where we came up with the Unbankers. So I would say that our biggest innovation over the last 12 months has been the rebranding of the Unbankers so that people understand that we're out there. And we've had the support of uh, commercial customers and clients. And we've even had support of our lender partners that have said, this is a great branding exercise. We're really curious to see how this is going to go and we'll support you along the way. So, um, you know, even from, even from that side of it, there's a lot of support. And then uh, during COVID, we've actually developed a, a software and it's not launched yet. It's in beta, but developed a software that's actually going to help businesses um, get funded quicker. And that's, uh, there's privacy around it right now, but um, that's something that we could not have done before COVID. It just wasn't ready pre-COVID. I think the world wasn't ready for it and we weren't ready to do it. So we're excited about both those things. Oh, well, that's, that's awesome. Uh, hopefully, uh, when, once, it, once it does get launched, you can uh, let me know so I could let the listeners know. Absolutely. <laughs> um, and early in the podcast, you mentioned that you've been kind of in business or in the industry for the last 20 years. So I'm just curious from your perspective, uh, Anthony, how is, um, how's Calgary changed from, from first when you started to now? Well, you know, um, I was very fortunate that even in the beginning, uh, we were, our headquarters were in Calgary, our tech team was in Calgary, but we were a national company very, very quickly. So we had offices in every major city in Canada, but uh, Calgary was our home base. It always was our home base. Um, and so when we first started, it seemed like a much quieter town and it, it, 
it didn't seem very uh, tech friendly at, at the time. Um, and so I would say that, um, I mean, the market was different as far as real estate and, and that sort of thing as well. And it was cheaper to get into the market and financing was less restrictive and, you know, but there weren't a lot of creative solutions um, in the market at that time. So when we started in Calgary, we started uh, with our, our, our tech business, which was the first business I started. Um, that was, uh, it was a perfect time uh, because there was nowhere to go but up. So um, I would say now Calgary is, is we're, we're starting to see it. There's a lot of things happening on the tech side, especially in Calgary, uh, that we would not have seen even 10 years ago. So it's, it's encouraging to see that uh, more businesses are, are starting up here, especially tech-based businesses. It's, you know, sort of, it's changing the landscape of, of how people are perceiving Calgary to be, not just an oil and gas or an energy town anymore. Um, there's a little bit more diversification in the industries here, which is great for the, great for the city. I mean, Calgary is a world-class city. It's just most people don't know it yet. So, um, you know, I, I'm... I, I, I love Seattle. I love, I love New York. I love Chicago. They're very, very fast paced. Calgary's getting there, but it's going to take a little bit of time. But I think there's plenty of room to move up in Calgary from where, from where it was 20 years ago when I first started. Absolutely. No, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, Calgary, Calgary is my favorite city. So it's, <laughs> there's, uh, there's no question about that. But um, yeah, I think we're going to bounce back and um, hopefully sooner than later with this uh, pandemic, but uh, I know we're a resilient city, so we'll, we'll, we'll get there. We'll get it, there. Yeah. It forces the innovation and the adaptation, right? Like the smart people will innovate and adapt and they will take the city in, in the direction that it needs to go. And I think we're seeing that already. Absolutely. I only have a couple more questions here for you, Anthony, um, before uh, we're mm-hmm. done the podcast, but what's maybe one question that you never get asked that you wish you would be asked? Um, I would say the one question that I would love to just answer, I'd love to walk down the street and just tell people freely, but nobody asked me is, um, you know, what's the best advice on how to get started? Like how, how do I start a business? And I think people think that, you know, okay, I go into the registry or I call my lawyer and they set up a company and then off we go. But there's so many more pieces that are required to get to that point. And one of those is, for example, a business plan. I, I can, out of a hundred entrepreneurs um, who have done, who've been involved in startups, I can almost guarantee that less than 50% of them write a business plan. And that's, and that's a pretty important piece. And so that's a piece of advice that I always give somebody, or I would love to give more people, but you know, I think that I'd love to help more uh, with people who are looking to start a business and, you know, Hey, what can I avoid? What should I do first? I would love to be asked that more. You know, how can I avoid any mistakes, right? I mean, we're going to make them, we're going to fail, but how can we fail less? And because of my experience, I would love to shout it from the rooftops. So I would love more people to ask me that. (laughs) Absolutely. If you ever see Anthony, make sure you ask him (laughs) how to start out in business. Help me on the street. (laughs) Exactly. Um, Speaking of which, what's the best way for our listeners uh, that can connect with you online? Well, um, I'm available. I'm, you know, I'm on LinkedIn, of course. That's a it's a business uh, platform that I think uh, most business owners and entrepreneurs should be on. Um, so you can find me on LinkedIn, Anthony D Almeida. I'm also on Instagram. We have the Unbankers uh, is our handle on Instagram, and my personal handle on Instagram is National A D, like my initials, Anthony D Almeida, National A D. That's my Instagram, and then uh, our website is theunbankers.com. Awesome. And I'll make sure to link all those accounts to the podcast description. So make sure you go check them out. 
Uh, yeah, it's been a pleasure to have you on the podcast. I always like to end the podcast uh, with the guests saying a question, or a quote, or a story to leave the listeners uh, with the interview. So my last question to you, Anthony, is do you have a question, a uh, quote, or a story to end the interview? Well, I think I've, I've rambled enough on the story side, so maybe we'll just end it with a quote because um, I am a uh, dual citizen, American and Canadian. I have always uh, been fascinated with politics. For some reason, I've gravitated towards Ronald Reagan. Um, I, I've always, he's been a very personable character on the world stage, but there was always, a, there was one quote in particular that he said, um, obviously years ago, that has always resonated with me. And it, I think it ties in nicely with our team concept. And his quote was, there's no limit to how far a man can go if he doesn't care who gets the credit for it. And that resonates with me every day because it cannot be done all alone. It, it, you know, not easily anyways. It takes, it takes a team to build it. And, you know, once you get past your ego and your pride and you, uh, you recognize how important your team is, there's no, there's no you know, limit to how far you can go. So that's my, that's my quote. That's the quote that, I, that sticks in my head every day.